You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Happy Father's Day. I agree with that. Happy Father's Day by God's design. Dads are a huge deal. Father, father types. Uh, so many different ways that that is applied. Uh, Lord, strengthen and um, make so pure and strong in our day the dads and dad types we have in our lives, and I pray that would happen. I also want you to know this Wednesday we are going to have a baptism service as a church to remind you of that, this baptism service. So we're going to have a bunch of baptisms tomorrow in different um, home sites uh, around our town and city, and so that's exciting. And so on Wednesday night, there's going to be a combination of some recorded baptisms from this week, and then we're going to have actual, Lord willing, live baptisms, a few live baptisms as well. And we're going to have a baptism service, again, on location and by Zoom, and then we're going to go to different locations for a couple of more live baptisms. And uh, again, the majority of those will be pre-recorded tomorrow. And so Wednesday night, tell friends and family, um, tune in. I mean, have you ever watched one of those before? I haven't. I'm fired up. It's going to be great, all right? Baptism service, COVID style, whatever you want to call it, all right, happening this Wednesday, and uh, we're looking forward to that. All right, let's get into God's Word together. Let me start with a question for you this day. Here at home watching, what does a heart, what does a heart for ministry look like? What does a genuine heart for ministry in Jesus Christ look like? I'm not talking about vocational ministry, at least not alone. I'm talking about just a, a life that wants to live ministry in Christ with the life that we've been given. What does a heart that beats for Christ look like? Um, so many things have been revealed to us in these past few months. That's what trials do, right? Um, trials cause us to see things we wouldn't otherwise see. They refine us. They expose us. They reinforce that which matters most. They really do reveal our hearts, again, for what's actually um, within. Again, question, do you have a heart for ministry? Some of you are trying to figure out, what do you really mean by that? And I'm glad you're trying to, I want you to think about it. Even your understanding of a heart for ministry. Or maybe this, do you know what a heart for ministry should look like? Uh, maybe you say, how can I pray for such a heart of genuine ministry um, in the Lord? I think for, for all of us right now, it's like, what can my heart look like in this season we're in right now? That's, I think, a good question. What is the opportunity that God has given me in the midst of such an unprecedented time? What is he really looking to gain from me or see in me? That's an awesome question to ask as well. There's, there is an opportunity for each one of us right now in a special way in terms of a heart of ministry for Christ. And you know, there's no greater example in the New Testament among the disciples of a heart of ministry than in the, in the Apostle Paul. There's no greater example, as we're going to see today, of a heart for ministry in Jesus Christ among his disciples, again, than in the Apostle Paul. Because remember, the Apostle Paul, he's the I count all things as loss guy. He's the but one thing I do guy. Like forgetting what lies behind, straining for what lies ahead, I pursue the upward call of the prize that is found in Jesus Christ guy. He's the my citizenship is in heaven guy. He's the uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain guy. Okay, And that's all within one of his letters. Just one of his letters. All that he said, again, 
in the epistle to the Philippian church. This, this is who Paul is. So listen, as an elite athlete contains a physical heart that maximizes oxygen and blood flow for optimum performance, the Apostle Paul had an elite spiritual heart in terms of maximizing the opportunity. He, he had such a heart for Christ that he was pumping through his life and in every occasion the Holy Spirit and then maximizing again the opportunity God has entrusted to him. That's what a spiritual heart and ministry for Christ does. With every breath, so to speak, you are living in, in how God wants you to live. Paul's such a good example of this by God's grace and by God's Spirit. Acts chapter 20, in this regard, is no exception today. We're going, I, I'm praying for a Holy Spirit surgical heart examination today. Heart surgery, please, Lord, do it. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be examined, as I do, remember myself, and I want you to be edified. Encouraged, examined, and edified by the Holy Spirit of God. And I love the timing of our text today as we begin to regather as a church again, whether we're at home right now watching, whether we're here right now um, in person. We're going to see Paul's, Paul's incredible heart for ministry. That's our sermon title. An incredible heart for ministry. And of course, we ask the question, okay, I'm listening a little bit. What does this look like? And just before we jump into the details of that answer, loved ones, please hear me in this. As much as there's been so much simplicity in the last three months, like in some ways, in some ways, there's been a slowing down or there's been a we're not doing as much as we used to do, obviously. I also think this, and I felt it myself, there's also in this season where we're not doing, there's a, there's a temptation for distraction and I think there's a temptation for deception as well. Please, please, church, church, please understand this to you, okay? As much as we've been sitting still, again, for the most part, please be aware our world is moving as fast as ever. Like the media, the messaging, all the commotion, like the, the events spiritually, I believe, like as much as we're, just, just, just be wise enough to think, just because we're sitting maybe more still than normal, do not be deceived and think the world is sitting still. It is not. It might be moving at a faster clip than we've ever realized and ever known. It, it, it is moving at a, ra this is a time to make sure your heart is in a good place because there's so much coming at us. And to have a heart that's centered on Christ is absolutely imperative to being used of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing his will and following his will. This is what Paul gives to us today from his own example in Acts 20, a few verses. Look at verse 17 with me of Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Notice, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. What a phrase. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except I know this, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
And then verse 24, such, I mean, this has to be underlined in your Bible if it isn't already. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, what, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Really an amazing text. Paul's heart on paper here. Let's start with our context. Paul is in Miletus. He's burdened to go to Jerusalem. He's constrained by the Holy Spirit to go. But notice, as is Paul is being led to go, he's also being led to disciple. He's also being led to multiply himself into the elders from Ephesus. He gives himself to the Ephesian elders. He unpacks his heart as an example again to follow. I want you to notice, just, it's just important to notice, some more ecclesiology here in verse 17. Okay, Ecclesiology, the study of the church. Notice what's being applied here in the, in the New Testament church as it starts to form in Acts. Notice a local church with local elders and local leadership. You see that? He called the elders from the church of Ephesus that they would come down. He met with them. He blessed them. I just want us to make sure the pattern, again, of what constitutes an actual representation of a local church. There's a local church with local elders and local leadership and, of course, local influence. It's beautiful to see that. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the way the church is to be led and to be run. Now, what follows now here is one of the more important speeches found in the New Testament. One of the most important speeches here, I love this, it reveals Paul's heart for ministry. In other speeches Paul has given so far, we see his heart as an evangelist. Now what we see, all those loved ones listening from home right now, now we say, I love this, Paul's heart as a pastor. His pastoral heart just comes flying out in terms of his heart for ministry and serving the Lord. So we're answering this question what does a heart for ministry look like? And we're in a very important time to, again, renew our minds and center ourselves on the importance of the answer to this question. So number one is this. A heart for ministry looks like this. I'm called to serve with all humility. I'm called to serve with all humility. Look at verse 18, 19 again. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, watch here. Paul loves the elders from Ephesus. He loves the Ephesians. He loves the church in Ephesus, but ultimately his love for them is rooted in his love and service to the Lord. You see that? Serving the Lord with all humility. Now, listen carefully. This is the bedrock for ministry. If you and I want a heart for ministry, the bedrock is having a heart of service to the Lord. You, you realize as you love and serve the people of God, the ultimate goal of that is to love and serve God himself, right? So today I am here in this way because I love you. I love all those watching right now as part of our church family. But ultimately, that's because I'm here to love you because I love God, right? I mean, that's, that's where the calling starts. It's a love and a desire to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, then love his church, love his people. And that's the bedrock for a heart for ministry. It's truly serving the Lord, right? So if we come into church and we want to serve to be seen, or we want to serve to have some kind of position of recognition, or we want to serve to feel better about ourselves, we've just kind of dismantled a heart for ministry. 
We've just kind of negated the whole purpose of it, right? If I want to sing a song up here on the stage so people can hear my voice and say, wow, you're a really great singer, you've just totally, again, negated the whole thing of what's supposed to happen. We're not here to draw the attention of men and women. We're here to serve the Lord ultimately in love for Him, which compels us to love each other. This is, this is Paul's heart for ministry right here. Now, see the word serving? The word serving is, comes from the verb form of slave. Now, now, this is very important. This is one of the secrets to Paul's impact and fruitfulness. He saw himself as a slave bond servant, a servant of Christ. 17 times in his epistles, he uses the verb form of slave servant of Christ. Loved ones, watch this. Everyone at home, listen up, listen up. Ready? Watch, watch, important. His identity, servant, slave of Christ, leads to his life action. His identity, I am a servant of Christ. I am a doulos, Greek, slave of Christ. His identity leads to his action. And what follows then in verse 19, serving the Lord as a slave of Christ with all humility. That makes total sense to me. A heart of a servant has a heart of humility, right? And this becomes one of the essential traits of a heart of ministry. It's a heart of humility within the heart of a servant. And isn't that so true? From, from, from Acts chapter 9, when the Apostle Paul was radically transformed by the gospel, at the moment he's radically transformed in genuine life change by the Holy Spirit, he's like, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Right? I mean, he, he goes from persecuting and hating Jesus and killing Christians, and he's transformed, and he goes from that to be like, whatever you want me to do, I'll give my life. That's amazing. That's what the gospel does. His identity was completely transformed, and then it changed the outworking and the direction of all that he was and all that he did. For example, in the book of Romans, and do you know why, again, it goes Acts and then Paul's epistles start? Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians. It really goes in the, in, the, in the order of the length of his epistles. Romans is the longest epistle. The first verse in this letter to the believers in Rome, look what he does. Paul, a servant of Christ, identity. First thing he says, here's my identity. I'm a slave of Jesus. Secondly, my calling to be an apostle. And thirdly, I am set apart for the gospel. Identity, calling, fruit, or function. Now listen, if you had to write one sentence like this describing your identity, calling, and fruit, or function, what would you put in? And just in, like, in, in all honesty right now, what would you describe all those watching at home right now to? Think about it. What would be your identity? What would be your calling? What would be your fruit or function for your life? Look what Paul does. But notice again, his secret is not supposed to be a secret. His identity is a slave or servant of Christ. That leads to his calling. I'm called to be an apostle for Christ. And from here then, the fruit I'm set apart. I am being sanctified for the purposes of the gospel to see lives change. That's, that's awesome. First verse in the first chapter of the epistle, again, of Romans. And Paul lays it out right from the beginning. Here's what I'm doing. Here's who I am. Here's, here's how I'm doing. And again, the purpose of my life is just amazing to me. Serving the Lord with all humility. Humility. See what happens with Paul here? Humility then allows Paul to say serving the Lord is not a chore, 
Serving the Lord is actually a cherished position or opportunity. You know, again, we all, for those of us, I mean, it's Father's Day after all. And for those of us who are fathers, and of course mothers, and we ask our kids to do something, which happens a lot in my home, and you're asking your child to empty the dishwasher, clean their room, vacuum the floor, whatever it is, it is rarely received with, yes, Father, can I do that, please? It would be an honor to do that, right? It's often being like, well, you know, they're looking around to see if they can avoid it. Did, did, did you hear what I said? No, all those things are happening. And, and it's often reluctancy, I find, with the invitation for a chore. It's amazing how many believers approach ministry like that. And the Lord Jesus Christ approaches them and says, man, I just, I'd love to use you. And would you be willing to, to, to serve in this way? And we're kind of reluctant. Well, i got to look at my time, whatever. But if you, if you get the premise and the reality of the gospel, it turns what could be a chore into something that is cherished opportunity with the best use of your life possible to be used of Christ, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to see lives changed forever. God, give us a heart for ministry. Amen. Amen. All those at home right now, I pray you'd say amen as well. It's interesting because when Paul uses the word humility to the Greek and Romans, this was abhorrent. Like the concept of humility was seen as derogatory. It was, it was actually like um, an insult. You say, like in our day, you say, man, you're such a loser, you know? Well, back then, you'd be like, man, you're so humble. It'd be like one of the worst things you could say to someone because it was seen as so weak and, and, and so pitiable. Only the weak and those that are just kind of disregarded would believe in becoming less. It was always about the other way. And so Jesus enters the scene through his incarnation. And Jesus sets a revolution in terms of character and blessing. Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus says, the last shall be first. Jesus says, take the lower seat and be then promoted by the Lord. Jesus says again, the greatest is the least Jesus says those who lose their lives find it. Jesus comes in and he says, actually, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Jesus says, he announces on the greatest sermon ever given, blessed are the poor or bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Upside down, revolutionary thought of character and blessing. That humility now becomes one of the greatest possible sources of blessing because that's whom God fills, the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so Paul's sitting here, he's like, man, I did not used to believe this. I was the opposite. I just wanted to wreck people. But Jesus Christ has transformed me so much, I give my life to serve him with all, to be a slave of Jesus Christ, to live with all humility. It's pretty remarkable and it's pretty amazing. So I think, and again, I'm not asking necessarily to agree with everything I'm about to say. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you to ask, maybe I'm not even making a statement as much, I want you to consider what, what I'm about to say. This past season, I believe we can go in one or two directions with our lives, with all that's happened. Because there's so much noise, there's so much messaging, there's so much information, there's so much fear. And I think in the COVID season, let me just put it on the screen for you, I think our heart can go in one or two ways. This COVID season, the past three months, can cause us either to move towards selfishness or selflessness. Self-pity or a form of self-abasement, self-humiliation in a good way. 
I think COVID season can cause us to move towards self-righteousness and judging people around us or thinking that we're whatever, or maybe self-awareness in the sense of humbling ourselves before the Lord. I think it can be an action of self, there's a lot of this happening, self-preservation, or maybe there's an opportunity in a new and beautiful way to actually die to self to a greater degree. I think COVID season, this is happening for a lot too, can lead us to be self-obsessed or to be self-forgetful. And again, I, I, just, I just want to present this to us as a wonderful exercise, and it's happening right now as I, as I talk. Like the Holy Spirit's using this. So it's healthy to, 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 where have I been going in the last, and, and all those watching from home right now, and just and so, so many situations represented. Have I been moving ultimately towards more selfishness? Or is God's purpose in this whole thing to move me towards selflessness? And so Holy Spirit, just speak to us about that. Help us to just look at our hearts. Because remember, the more we can get our hearts in a place of authentic desire for ministry, I mean, the more blessed we will be. And telling you, now's the time. I don't know about you, but I've rarely seen what I consider to be Satan himself, the enemy, seeking to distract, to divide, to discourage, and to destroy ultimately on so many different levels. Remember, ma'am, everything that's happening in our world, at the end of the day, there's two sides. There's Jesus and Satan. There's light and darkness. There's good and evil. There's heaven and hell. Remember that. At the end of the day, everything we're talking about, every single person who's ever lived ends up in one of those two places or one of those two people. It all comes down to that at the end. So as much as we get mining down on very important aspects and safety and issues, whatever it may be, as, as, as much as those things can be, always step back and see everything as a whole. Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. With Jesus, against Jesus. I think Satan's trying to get as many people as confused as possible that we would not seek to serve the Lord with all humility. It's interesting that Paul mentions in verse 19 too, he says, with all humility and with tears and trials. Okay, so ready? If you're going to serve the Lord with genuine humility, you're going to have seasons where you cry. Like there's going to be tears. There's been lots of tears in the last several weeks. I just know that. I've seen that. I've felt that. experienced that. There's going to be trials of all sorts of different kinds. It's just, it's just, it's, it's guaranteed. I love Paul here because he sheds tears over his situation, but his greatest form of shedding tears is over the people of God. Look at verse 31 of Acts 20. We'll get here next week, Lord willing. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Can you see Paul's passion there? Can you see his urgency? Can you see his compassion, his desire, his conviction? Listen, ready, ready? And this is why some don't go down this path of true ministry because it comes at a cost. Some of you watching right now from home, you've, you've been shedding a lot of tears recently. And there's been different trials that have hit you. And, and, and one of the things we learn here is this is promised within a heart that generally seeks to go for the Lord with humility. And again, it's why Satan's so adamant in opposing every part of it. But God, give us a heart for ministry. Not a selfishness, not pride, not hard-hearted, but of humility, of service to the Lord called to serve. Heart of ministry is called to serve with humility. Number two is this, called to teach 
the whole truth. If you have a heart for ministry, you are called to teach the whole truth. I'm not talking about formal preaching alone. I'm talking about a life of truth. Now look at verse 20. It says, How I did not shrink from declaring to anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and private, I put that in, from house to house, testifying to everyone, notice Jews and Greeks, and of the whole gospel, again, I'm inserting words, of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the verb that carries the force of these verses is the verb or the phrase not shrink. See that? Not shrink means not draw under, not back down, not cower. Uh, Not shrink also means, this is important, someone who's not trying to be out of sight. Someone who's not trying to avoid responsibility. That's good, right? So many people, they don't want the responsibility, so they try to hide from authority. They try to hide from those that they're accountable to. They just want to kind of slink into the background. I thought of a biblical example of this was when Saul was about to be anointed king and they went to find him. Where's Saul? And he was hiding in the baggage. Not good, right? Not good. The future king of Israel was hiding in the baggage and they went and got him from the baggage and brought him out and anointed him. So, so listen, if, if you're just a you know, random Israelite watching this thing unfold, and you're like, yeah, the new king. Who's the first king? First king ever in this way? Who's the new king? And you see him rising up from hiding in the baggage? And then, I mean, wouldn't you be like, mm, not sure that's going to work out too great? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know like, where this is going. But that's what Saul did, and we know how kind of that ended up. Shrinking back in this way is a failure to want to come and do again what you have been called to do. Paul here is speaking it in terms of teaching, preaching the Word of God. I love this. He did not, he did not shrink back. Think of how Paul would have been tempted to tickle ears, soften the message, just ease it. Remember, he taught this message in public, it says in the text, and private, house to house. The number one reason Paul received so much hatred was his message. It wasn't him ultimately, it was the message he gave. He was hated. His life was constantly threatened. He was always under attack. He was almost, almost died, like left for dead, stoned to, because of his message. And so you wonder here, man, you think like, you know, the message specifically detailed, if you look at verse 21, can you see it? There's something very important there. In verse 21, testifying to everyone, Jews and Greeks, so he wasn't showing, again, any partiality. He didn't have a fear of man. Same message to Jews. Same message to Greeks, encompassing everyone in the human race. And then he says there, notice he says, of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now why are those two terms mentioned there? Because those two terms ultimately uh, include the, the full gospel message. You can't just preach faith. Have faith in Jesus without understanding what you're having, faith in what though? Faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, my sins, that I have to repent of, turn away from, and then place my faith in Christ for my forgiveness. If Paul just preached a message of faith, I think his life would have been a lot easier. 
if he did not come in and, and pointing out the sin and the need for repentance, I, I just think life would have been a lot less troublesome. But see, he's got such a heart for ministry that he knows love is not defined by acceptance by everyone. Love is ultimately defined by grace and truth. And because he, can, because he loves the Lord so much, he's doing exactly what the Lord asked him to do. And I think he did it with incredible love, but also incredible boldness and with incredible grace. But listen, also with an incredible sense, again, of truth. If you don't have the truth, it can't really be love. I did not shrink back from declaring to you. And we'll go down a couple of verses, and you'll see this in verse 27, actually, of our text next week, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's love. He did not hide, he did not shy away from that responsibility. And you know what? Let me just say this, and everyone watching and here today too, I, and I, I for one have rarely felt more pressure in the last couple of years to conform to society, to weaken the... It's happening all around us, happening all around us. You drive by churches all the time and you just see evidence, again, of a, a tearing out portions of the truth in order to be accepted by the world. There's never been a greater societal pressure in this nation towards that end. It's tough, isn't it? We all feel it. We feel it in our conversations. We feel it in our relationships. We feel it in our families. We feel it in our, you know, just people we love and talk with and neighbors and strangers. We all feel it. And we need to be men and women of grace and love. But God, help us to make sure we also are men and women and children of truth. See, what will the tragedy be? So many Christians want to be nice. Awesome. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Yes. We want to be loving. We want to, be, we want to have kindness. Absolutely. I just think, though, at the end of the day, we reach the end, and we've been so nice to people, but we've never actually told them the truth. Let me ask you, is that actually nice at the end of the day? Is that actually kindness to them? By never actually say, well, if I tell them the truth, they're gonna maybe reject me or hate me. I know, I go through that too. It's tough, isn't it? Trust me again, I fight this battle all the time. God help us. A heart for ministry though in love and grace with humility and compassion. But also with a conviction for the gospel. And God help us to say it in such a way that be winsome but we would not diminish. And Paul, he just, he testifies. He's like, hey, Ephesian elders, my heart's on the table right now, man. I've been, I've been called to serve and I've been called to teach and, and, and I gave you the word of God. And then notice he says this, thirdly, a heart for ministry. He's called by the Spirit. He's called by the Spirit to endure suffering now. So this text is amazing. Look at, look at verse 22. And now behold, now that word behold there precedes what's coming. It means, hey, stop, listen up, listen up. Hey, everyone home. Get off the couch a little bit. Sit up a little straighter, right? He's like, hey, listen up, listen up. So whatever comes now, there's great emphasis. He says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. What a phrase. Not knowing what will happen to me there except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Okay, so, so constrained by the Spirit. Um, other translations, bound by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, captive to the Spirit. And this makes so much sense, doesn't it? Ready? If, if you're a slave to someone, 
if you are a servant of someone else, you're captive to them. You are, you are bound to that. Um, the word constrained literally in the Greek, it means um, two objects tied together. Wherever the one goes, the other must go because they're tied together. How beautiful this is. Paul, Paul was tied together to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was so close to Christ that whatever the Holy Spirit said, he did. His will was not his own. His life was not his own. Whatever direction the Lord said, he went. He's so tied to the Holy Spirit to the point, church, that the Holy Spirit says one thing in this case to him, and the only thing the Holy Spirit says to him is this, imprisonment and afflictions await you in every city. So you can look at it from this angle then. The Holy Spirit is so in charge in filling Paul's life. The Holy Spirit knows and trusts. He can tell Paul anything, even the promise of imprisonment and affliction awaits you in every city. And Paul says, I'm in. And Jesus is like, that's my man right there. Like think about it. The, like the Holy Spirit at, at, at this stage doesn't be like, hey, you're going to be comfort. And gonna be the only thing the Holy Spirit that Paul says, says to him is, in every city, remember, not just Jerusalem, it's hostile out. In every city, imprisonment and afflictions await you because of your love for Jesus Christ. Paul's like, sign me up. That's amazing to me. In some ways, you could ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, maybe a little bit more of a pep talk, right? Right? But he's, he's telling, he's, there's, there's such an intimacy together. That Paul, this is one of, the, one of the most powerful parts of Paul's life is he knows it's not about the earthly city he's about to be imprisoned in. It's about the heavenly city that is to come. That's what allows him to do what he's called to do. Question, do you have a heart for ministry? Do I have a heart for ministry? Again, one of the blessings of the past three months could be self-awareness. One of the negatives of the past three months could be self-preservation. Think about that for a second. Okay? I, I want you to think about that. Now, the COVID season has come with tremendous sobriety. But I just, as, 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 as we consider the danger we feel we have faced or are facing, and everyone listening right now, I want you to just be, I want you to hear this, okay, in my heart for this, is that we have to be aware, though, of what else is happening, just, just by way of example, Right? The consequences of the lockdown globally due to COVID. The studies are coming out more and more and more to say one um, leading health expert in the UK had a really good line, and she said this. She said, shutdown or lockdown is a luxury for the middle class in the West. Poor nations have no ability to shut down. You shut down, you don't eat. There's no, there's no sir benefit coming to them. Like, like, they don't work, they don't eat. The, the scientists are coming out now, and I, I verified this literally this morning. The amount of suicides, opioid addictions, the amount of mental health issues, the amount of, of cancer deaths occurring because they've been neglected and other health issues. Scientists now are estimating that the deaths as a result of the COVID, not, not COVID, the deaths as a result of the COVID lockdown are going to be 10 to 100 times more than the actual deaths from COVID itself. 
Tend to, because you take all the, all the factors globally, including starvation, including, again, the other health issues, all that, 10 to 100 times more people will die as opposed to what's happened worldwide due to COVID itself. It just it help it helps me just to step back. Wait, wait, wait. Am I so concerned with self preservation that I'm missing the greater thing of what's happening in, in our world? And again, I don't know the answers, church. Like I don't know. I I love to be challenged though to have a greater perspective. It's healthy for me because it takes my eyes off myself alone and brings it up and looks at the Bible and be like, why am I here ultimately? Is it, is it to preserve my life to live as long as I possibly can, or is it for something greater? Well, in fact, let's let Paul unpack this maybe a little more than, than, than me trying to. Look at, look at verse 24. But here comes the contrast, okay? The contrast to the promise of imprisonment and afflictions, and really talking about probably his death. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, it's amazing. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There's such a heart for ministry here. This isn't lip service from Paul. It's his life statement. What Paul does, he turns into an accountant here again. He's using accounting terms. He's placing the value of his life compared to the gospel and his call and the cross. And he said, I, I do not account my life of any value, and notice, nor precious. All these are value terms to myself. So what Paul just did right there, he's like, I mean, this is the same guy who says, I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He's like, listen, listen, I can die, but it's for Christ I win. I mean, again, look what he's saying. He's like, he's like, my life is not of any value nor is precious to myself when compared to my calling in Jesus Christ. That is so incredible. So at the end of the day, he's like, if I die, I die. To live as Christ, to die is gain. He's saying, it's not about me. It's about my life for Christ. Whatever God wants. How long will I live? He's like, not sure. God knows. But in the meantime, I'm not going to waste my life. Remarkable. It's remarkable. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's like, I'm willing to lose both life and liberty for the sake of Jesus Christ. Many believers aren't willing to lose a few hours sleep for Jesus. Just saying. He's willing to lose life and liberty, because what's he doing? He's putting the weights. He's putting the value in the balance. And he's like, Christ, world, Christ, my life. And the, the worth of the weight in Jesus Christ is not even close. I consider these light and momentary afflictions, right? Nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory, 2 Corinthians 4. That's why I love Paul so much. I just want to be more like him as he's more like Christ. Right? The Holy Spirit is Paul's wealth advisor here. That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is, is Paul's wealth advisor, and the, the Holy Spirit's sole advice here is this. Heavenly wealth is coming, Paul. Heavenly wealth is coming. Don't live for earthly treasure. Heavenly wealth is coming. And Paul's like, I believe it. I believe it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He does it with wisdom. 
He does it with great boldness. He does it with, again, sometimes, you know, obviously he's thinking through what's happening, but he, but he lets his life be led by the Lord. He has a, such a heart for ministry, called to serve, called to teach. He's called or constrained by the Spirit of God to endure suffering. And then lastly, really briefly, but let me just, point number four is really our conclusion here. He's called to the gospel with his whole life. Called to the gospel with his whole life. So look at the end of verse 24. We'll, we'll stop here. So his life is not of value or precious to myself. Okay, look at, look at the next two words. If only. So this is the cause. If only so that because of this, I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of Finish my course. Paul, he, he must have liked sports. Because it, it's, a, it's another athletic term embedded. If I must finish my race, my course, my race, I run the race, he says in 2 Timothy. He's like, I am called with my life to finish what Christ has given to me, I receive from Jesus, and to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, how long? He's not sure. God knows. But this is my heart. My life is not precious or valuable. If only I may run the race from what Jesus Christ has entrusted to me and to testify to the gospel of grace with the time that I have to see so many lives changed for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So he's like, again, how many more breaths do I have? I'm not sure. But here's what I know. I'm not wasting it. Church, do we have a heart for ministry? Again, let me just say this. I really believe this is a season right now. There is so much stuff. There is so much noise. There's never a more important time to get Bible out, to renew your mind, heart on the table before the Lord, and say, God, there's, I, I have like a thousand choices that I think I need to make. I just need you to show me right now step one. And right now today, God says, step one, get your heart as much as possible in line with a heart of ministry for Jesus Christ. Just start with that. Just start loving the Lord, pursuing him in this way, and everything else will come together as God decides. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. But it will be the Lord's. I mean, this is how I operate because this is how the Bible operates. There's just, I, I, I get overwhelmed. There's too much happening. I gotta come back to the absolute basics and say, God, if my heart, if my heart is engaged and pure with you, if 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 my heart is real before you and seeking you in this way, man, then just and I pray, I have the word there, and just again, it, the peace and the faith that comes over to say, Lord, if this is happening, I'm good. I'm good. You you will direct me in the rest. Lord, I need you to speak with clarity and purity in my life right now. May it be so. May it be so. In me, family this church family, this church community. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray you're using your word very specifically and surgically today. I pray you are helping men, women, and children see what it is we are living and who we are living for. I pray you will use this song right now, Lord, and even in these next steps as a church and, and, and what we are to do and where we are to go. Oh, Lord, I just pray our hearts are pure before you right now. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness and patience with us and your desire to use us. Work, Lord. Work, we pray. In Jesus' name.